Cheers. Cheers. I'm Ken. I'm Gavin. And this is Diplomacy Games. The uh, podcast all around playing the game Diplomacy. And, um, and a responsible drink at various locations in around Brisbane and beyond. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, today we're at the Embassy Hotel. Um, I am drinking a... Uh, it's, a it's, it's called a, a Black Haze. Black Haze? Black Haze. But it's a stout with eggnog infused into it. Is that like part of a Christmas themed element? Uh, well, I saw the eggnog and I saw the stout and I thought it being coming up to Christmas sounds like a combo. And it's a very tasty drink I have to say. It's very nice. Mm. Solid. Yeah. If we, were, if we were staying here longer I might even be tempted but I guess we're not. Yeah because we are going to be moving after the interview folks so. Yes, it's, uh, it's the usual thing you know most of the bars actually want to go to that are new don't open until about five or later. So we'll start here. Do you actually remember we came here once? We have recorded here once. Yes. It was really early on. It was like I checked the uh, I checked the uh, the website. It was episode fourteen. Fourteen. Oh god. How long have we been going for now? Six years. Uh, oh. I don't know. I can't remember. If it was two thousand sixteen or seventeen we started. Yeah, okay, so coming up... I think we actually talked about that with our interview guest, oh, didn't we? I think we did, yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Anyway, hazy then. What are but, you um, So, uh, I'm on a... Oh, shit, what is it? Black, Ho- Black Hops Goat Hazy IPA. Ah, okay. So, as an opening, what's it? Um, it's, it's, not in, it's not an inspirational opening. Okay. It's different. So, it's, actually, so this is the thing. The taste is very different to a beer I would normally have. But you, you, you go to an IPA regularly, don't you? Yeah, but hazy is different. It's like it's unfiltered. It has a little bit more of a funk in it. Okay. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, you've done this little funky opening that you thought, oh, yeah. oh this could be fun and interesting, and then go, actually, kind of, it gave a pretty ordinary result. But it's not a bad result. It's not a great result. Yeah, but it achieved what I was hoping it to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was hoping to, you know, slip in behind someone's lines very, very early game, you know what I mean? But Mine's like... Um, like if you're Russia and you open to, um, let's say Silesia, and then walk into Munich. As an <laughs> really? That yeah, good? Yeah, yeah. It's like a really weird mix, and we'll set up a fun dynamic. Jeez, why, why doesn't Russia do that more often? It's a good question. Um, I did do it as Russia once. Because they usually they usually yep. kind of freak out about Berlin, but they never freak out about Munich. Yeah, I think Sorry, I mean, it's like, like they cover. If you did that. Yeah. Because Silesia borders you, Berlin, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. It borders Berlin and Munich, and they have to cover one or the other, or believe that you. Oh, sorry, I'm uh, misordered. <laughs> which, is the, which is the card I played when I did it. Mm. I said, oh, I'll move it out, I'll move it out, I'll move it to Galicia. It doesn't right. border Kiel at all, does it? No. Um, no, Kiel goes up to Denmark. No, but on the, the bottom of Kiel. No, no, no. It borders Berlin. Just Berlin, Munich, Munich. Galicia, um, Bohemia. Bohemia. No, um, and Livonia. Open, open up the map. Open up the map. <laughs> it's sorry. such a weird location. It is. I have to. Sorry. Sorry, guys. You know, I know. I know our long time listeners are going to be screaming at us right now. <laughs> 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 Supposed to be about diplomacy. What? <laughs> 
Well, honestly, because we don't, I don't know, you just, you don't think about those other things too quickly. You don't think about that as, a, as an opening much. Yeah. Um, I'll quickly check classic, 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 classic. But it's something like, it's, it's like, um, Jamal did this to me. I was, oh, you're right. I was playing as, yeah, yeah, so I bought as Prussia, yeah, I got that wrong, not Livonia, Prussia, Berlin, Munich, Bohemia and Galicia, yeah. I thought I, mean, I, I knew that they were close on the board. You can see how close they are, but Berlin has the connection with Munich rather than uh, the other way around. Well, it forces Germany to have to talk if they didn't want to talk, doesn't it? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I mean, and does it put Austria, Austria on your side? Maybe. You know, and it, it could be an interesting gambit if Italy was to move to Tyrolia as well. Hey. So what is it with, um, like, if you have, I reckon, I reckon if you did that as Russia, and you kind of got France and England on board, Germany would be smashed before you know it. Well, you could crush them. I mean, you could get... Isn't that, it's, 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 it's called, isn't it a northern crusher or something? Or? I don't know what it's called, but if, if Warsaw opens to Cilicia, Vienna moves to Bohemia, Venice moves to Tyrolia, <laughs> Paris moves to Burgundy, London moves to North Sea... Okay, I can you only know, see that happening like, in one set of circumstances. It's like, we don't it, like Germany, let's no, go And it would be, you know, you're on a board, it's high stakes, Andrew Goff has drawn Germany. <laughs> and everyone decides to kill him. It was the same scenario as the WDC true, finals. True, true, everyone true. decided to, sorry, everyone who could decided to gang up on Peter McNamara. Yeah, true. You know, but McNamara was friends. But same, same situation, yeah. So everyone just... Yeah, it's a, it's a kill Germany. So it's it's that good. Well, I mean, a couple more, and it would be as good as Italy and Austria and France opening like that, and England on side. But at this point in time, it's just you know, Russia moving to Cilicia for the hell of it. <laughs> well, I like it. I like it, Ken. So, um, our, our interview today is, is actually a, much the same way that this venue is the second time we've been here and we're about to move. Yes. Um, this is the second time we've interviewed this guest. Uh, Umble the Heap, yeah. um, who's the uh, creator. Um, creator, publisher, publisher, extraordinaire. Amazing um, person that he is. Of the diplomacy briefing, the um, probably... I know for me it's my go-to bit of news on a weekly basis about what's happening in the world of diplomacy. Yeah. So um, I don't know if anyone hasn't already signed up, but how to do it? Spoken about diplomacybriefing.com. Diplomacy, click exactly. the big button. Yep. Put your email address in, and then away you go. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we got into some of the origin story. Uh, we got into um, how it's grown in, in that time and people involved. Um, you know, got into some of that discussion about how it's actually being managed and run because it's a massive output and where it's going and a few other tangents on those things. So um, I thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Yes, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So we hope you guys too. So shall we jump to it? And I think we will. See you on the other side. Okay. Right, bye. Humble Heap, welcome back to the Diplomacy Games podcast. Great to have you on. Thank you. It's good to be back. Well, hasn't it? I actually went back and had a look at the last time that we had you on, and it was actually literally like just before the uh, COVID pandemic kicked in. So it was um, late January 2020. So we're almost up to four years since the last time we talked to you, and I'm sure a great deal has changed in then um, in your times uh, with the game. You want to 
give us a brief overview around for those who didn't kind of listen to the previous episode around uh, the diplomacy briefing, if they for some bizarre reason don't actually know about it at the moment and what your role is with that? Yeah, yeah, we we were doing diplomacy content uh, before people had lots of time to be able to do diplomacy content. So we were uh, the the OGs of uh, diplomacy content. I was the new kid on the block though back then. Um, I had just started the briefing maybe a few months before that. We were probably around you know twelve or fifteen issues, or maybe maybe it was a little bit more than that. I can't remember, but uh, since then, uh, with the briefing, uh, we're, I think, about 220-some issues. We continue to put out every week um, an issue that talks about everything that's going on in the diplomacy community across all the platforms. And uh, also a strategy article each and every week. At this point now, we have a reach of about, with our subscribers and followers, about 1,000. Uh, so it's grown a lot since then. It's kind of pretty much stayed the same for the last two years. And um, definitely if you want to get information out there for any of your diplomacy projects or tournaments or anything coming up, uh, the briefing, I think, continues to be the place to do that, especially in a timely way. And, of course, since then, too, we've got Patreon supporters that allows me to be able to give money to our editors that work on the issues. And we, and it's went from being like a one man show to now there's a lot of people that are involved, but um, very closely uh, there's a, a team of four different editors that are able to to actually do the issues. I was going to ask you a little bit about that because when we when we last spoke um, four years ago it was a team of one as you said. Um, and I have noticed over over the years, progressively, there's been more and more editors being kind of recognised as obviously put, pulling together um, that particular edition. How does how does that all work? First off, how did you get people involved, and and what is what are their roles compared to um, you know what you currently continue to do? So we're we're actually in need of um, a particular type of editor. So originally, when I opened it up to start recruiting people, the briefing had kind of, I, th- I felt like um, kind of established what it was. So uh, the first thing that I did was open it up for editors. And originally the idea was they were to do exactly what I was doing, which was gathering content and making the issues. And it became pretty clear right away that that wasn't going to work, that you needed two people. You need one person with a, with a long view of here's all the things that are coming up. Let me organize and gather the content. And then you needed somebody that knew how to actually make the issues um, within the platform that we use, which is MailChimp. And so um, originally, the first part of it was just having editors who made the issues and I gathered the content. And then um, I got the second group, which were content editors. And we pretty much always had two probably for about two years. And so my job became more of like uh, doing extra things, starting extra initiatives, special issues. But in the last about eight or nine months, that content editing side, I've had, I've stepped back in because some other people had different things going on or they decided they wanted to focus on different things. Now the copy editing, which is that's the people making the issues that stayed really consistent. In fact, um, you know, I've got, 
most of them are, I think everyone's pretty long-term there, at least over a year. Some, I've got three years that have been there. Matthew or Lady Razor is what he goes by. But um, so I'm actually looking for some more content editors, which I, I there's a few in the pipeline. And their, their job basically is to make contact with all the different people in the community, keep their eyes on things, and then put the issues together so that the copy editors can actually write it. So that's that's kind of the maybe the big picture as far as how an issue comes together. We also have um, another guy who does social media graphics for us. His name's Ian, and um, he does a great job. And then we have other people that just write, and uh, there's just a lot of people that actually help the briefing be what it is. And um, I went for probably about a year doing very little at all on the actual weekly issues, but I've stepped in recently just because there's been some some gaps that have needed to be filled. So I've been actually gathering the content now for maybe about six, seven months. So I'm back at that. So for, for our listeners, those of you who um, are keen to kind of give back to the hobby, you might have a little bit of spare time on your hands um, and, and what Umble said uh, that appeals to you. Um, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you about that, Umble? Yeah, info at diplomacybriefing.com. You can email me there. You can find me on Discord. And what I'll do is I'll shoot over to you uh, the description of what that what that looks like. Um We've got videos, too, that I've made on how to train, you know, all of our everybody, all of our editors have been trained on exactly how to do it. We even have one of our editors. He uses um, chat GDP to, to make different like blurbs and stuff. He's pretty, pretty smart how he does it all. But uh, um, I'll definitely can can let you know about that. And of course, too, if someone's wanting to subscribe to the briefing, we it's diplomacybriefing.com and you just type in your email and you'll get it every week. You've touched on two things I want to explore with you. Um, so I'll park the chat GPT AI thing for a moment. So if I forget about it, make sure I come back to it. Um, but just talking about the way you described it, it sounds very much like you've systematized the process um, for how everything's going to pull it together. It sounds, uh, if I dare say so, it sounds very professional. Uh, is that something that you've kind of picked up from your own you know, career or you've just kind of developed it over the time or you plan to apply it to other things? Well, definitely when I first started, um, it was a lot of time just putting everything together and figuring out what works for the issue and what I felt was a, a good product. And that's something that people would want to, to look at. But um, I've always kind of um, enjoyed kind of working as a team. And there was no way that I could continue to do the briefing like that. like. I was doing it for years and years and years. And so the only way it was going to work is if there was a team and, and there, some stuff has been automated. And um, so like a lot of our social media posting that's done automatically. And uh, there's a few little processes I have to jump back in and kind of tweak some more. Um, But uh, to, to answer your question, some of it was figured out, like I said, as we went along, I thought, okay, you know, what I was doing was something that one person could do, and it was not. It was something that it needed to be two people because people just would not last. And so, like, for instance, on our editors, um, the way that works is somebody does an issue one month, and then we move to the next person the next month, and then it, it rotates through. 
And on the content editing side, I really like to have two. And that way a person does three months and then the other content editor does another three months. So uh, to answer your question, I mean, yeah, definitely. Like I'm a pastor. So a big part of doing ministry is you got, you're basically working with volunteers. I mean, you don't have like a paid, um, you know, group that you work with. It's, it's people that want to give back to the community and want to help in different ways. So regardless of the ministry, uh, you're organizing volunteers and working with them. So uh, there's a little bit of that, but I've always kind of um, tried to figure out ways, even from when I was little uh, or as a teenager, to kind of organize and put things together. And I'm not always perfect or great at that, but um, you know, putting together a newsletter requires a, a lot of different things to learn how to do. And so whether it's working through the um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the, all the terminology because I'm, you know, I don't code or anything like that, but at least learning how to do all the different, um, connecting into our domain name as far as emails and, um, MailChimp. And there, there's a lot of different things that we try to do to automate it. It, it did take some time for me to figure out, which you guys have probably done the same thing. Cause you guys are on the different platforms that do podcasts. And of course you guys have your own website too. That looks great. You do Patreon. So, I mean, all of these things are, are for me at least, were things I had to learn. Uh, well, don't, don't get too carried away. I think I managed to literally um, pull that um, website template, I think, off WordPress, and I have no idea how to use WordPress and somehow rather fluked it and haven't broken it since, apart from the fact that one thing didn't work anymore because it's so out of date. But, um, yeah, it's. Um, I, I do think that you probably are a little bit more professional than us, but uh, maybe the smoke and mirrors <laughs> gets away with it. It's funny, though, that you did talk there, um, Umble, around um, you know, your role in ministry um, and obviously from a, from a faith point of view. And bizarrely, like I think it was the episode before or after yours last uh, ran back in January 2020, we also had an interview with a pastor, which is uh, Ira Hall, who's also a diplomacy player. At the time, I thought it was very odd that you would have somebody who obviously, you know, follows the Christian faith and um, which can sometimes talk about, you know, being, you know, forthright with people and not be deceiving and yet actually have somebody who obviously dearly loves the game diplomacy, which at times can be a little bit deceiving. Um, so I'm interested to hear that that you're also um, obviously in ministry as a pastor. Um, how, how do you kind of view that aspect of teaching versus the game. Sure. Um, you know, I, I've, I have read and listened to different people that um, are in ministry that play diplomacy and kind of their approach to it. A lot of what I've read um, or, or listened to, it's they, it, to them, it's a little bit like, okay, there's the game. It's its own thing. These are the rules. And, there's not maybe so much of attention. It's just kind of something fun that they do. And they're like, well, this isn't real life. I know for me, there's definitely um, a component that there's always a little bit of an uncomfortableness and attention. Maybe some of the reason is because I feel like I take to it pretty easily. And um, so like there's a part of me like never in real life would I ever want to take advantage of somebody. And there's no way I could do what I do and think that way. And 
So because of that, like in diplomacy, like you're trying to get little advantages um, throughout the game so that you're able to win. And so, you know, it does. It's not something like I, I lay up. I, I stay awake at night um, with a twisted soul or anything like that. You yeah, can kind of yeah. you can live with yourself because you recognize it's the game. The people who are turning up recognize it's the game. And, um, you know, you're not necessarily applying those same principles to uh, real life. That's my paraphrasing of you. Is that correct? No. Uh, so, I mean, yes, but no, also like I, I'm very sensitive. to. More. Yeah, I'm really sensitive to to people. Um, getting a bad view of um, pastors or, or Christians because I play the game. So I'll tell you a story. Like I've had this happen once or twice where people kind of, and they were, they were probably just, you know, talking or upset or something like that. And they've kind of like made a dig like, Oh, Hey, you're a pastor and you know, you attacked me or that. Cause I originally, like I was really, really careful. I didn't really want people to know because I was really sensitive to that um, having some kind of blowback. Because to me, I mean, diplomacy is just a game. And if that crosses over into affecting what really is important to me, then um, I'd rather not play. And so I've had a few moments like once kind of um, that was figured out or put together because, you know, you you got some diplomacy players that they want to try to find out everything about you that they can from the Internet. And um, so I, I've had some people that have kind of found that out. And I've, I've had some people make some comments like that. And I think for me, that's definitely been the probably the times for me that were like the most difficult with the game is when moments like that happen where people made a dig about that. And um, so I am pretty sensitive to that. Not so much that like it really bothers me as far as playing the game aggressively but it 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 definitely um, does bother me when i feel like that's attached to like a character because the truth of the matter is um you can't really get to know who a person is over a board game uh you make a lot of assumptions you have no but you have no idea who they really are and what they really value you've got this micronism uh microcosm moment where you're seeing how do they compete and, and now you can gather things from that, but, um, you know, you can't really, really know who they are. And some people think they can't. Some people think they're so perceptive. And I'll just tell you, as someone who's been a pastor and I'm around people and I do counseling with people, um, you know, you, you can be talking to people face to face on a weekly basis and not really know what's going on, you know, in their lives and in their families. And so sometimes when people take diplomacy and kind of use it that way, that's what makes it kind of hard at times. And that doesn't happen very often, but it definitely is something that I'm sensitive to that I don't want the game to affect how people actually view um, the teachings of Christ and what that means to be a Christian. So um, I'm not able to completely lock it away. And this is probably something I haven't talked ever a lot with people about, but it is something that um, is is a real thing in my mind. It's fair. And look, look, I don't know if you um, listened to when Ken interviewed me and Jamal just after WDC. And look, I talked a little bit about my faith and how I kind of approach that when it comes to the game. So um, 
personally, I, I think it's I'm able to kind of reconcile the difference between the two. But you're right. Look, at the end of the day, you you have a certain way you approach a game and you want to make sure that that doesn't kind of cross over into real life. Um, but And I'm also really competitive. So, like, I understand that, that. You know, I have a, a part of me that when it comes to like competing in games, like, yeah, I really do want to win. But when you do ministry, like you, you can't think that way. It's not about winning. It's not about competing. It's about helping people. And so um, there, that side is something that I, I wouldn't say I turn off, but it's, it's not a side that that comes into play. You know, I'm not competing for sales. I mean, I suppose people could maybe look at it that way, but it's definitely not the way I look at it. I'm not trying to compete with the church down the street or anything like that. Um, you know, I'm trying to be faithful to what I think Christ calls us to be. So um, I don't think that way. But, you know, when you're like, whether it's on a basketball court, whether it's, you know, any type of competition, I'm all in on that. So at the same time, um, I will say what diplomacy has definitely helped is with me is kind of learning a little bit more about how to compete without, you know, forgetting the other people that are on the board, right? And so um, that, there's been some good lessons there that I've learned, like, okay, you know, how do you navigate this? It's not, it's not always just about winning, right? It's at the end of the day, it is a game, and there's real people that are there. So um, that's where I can say with the tension, like diplomacy is helpful. And at the same time, like, uh, I need to um, also always be aware of how I'm playing too. Sounds, sounds good. And look, I, I wanted to say thank you for being open enough to talk a little bit about, around that. I think uh, any time that we uh, we take the opportunity to, you know, recognise, you know, God and how God can kind of, you know, play into our lives, uh, even when it crosses over into diplomacy, um, it's always a good thing to kind of to get that out there, in my opinion and my view of the world. Um you talked a little bit before around ChatGPT and AI and how that's being used by one of your editors um, in pulling together components of of, um, of the briefing. Um, would you mind just going into a little bit more detail around that? Because um, we've always been a, a, a show that's paid a lot of attention to how AI uh, can uh, support and, and um, help with the game. So could you touch on that a little bit more? So I haven't used it now one of our editors, his name's Brandon, and uh, he does um, he's he's done work in kind of like the education field and copy editing. So it was actually a really good um, uh, uh, kind of person to add to the team. He was telling me the other about, I don't know, a few months ago. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, I, I'm thankful for chat DDP because it helped me write the, the, the blurbs real quick. Like he'd plug in what about, you know, what were some of the key aspects and then it would spit out a thing and he said you know that was really helpful for me getting this issue out quickly uh, now i will say ai is not writing our strategy articles so we haven't got to that it's not teaching us how to play diplomacy but um that's apparently how he's used it i asked him to make a video so that our other editors could kind of look at how he does it but um he didn't quite have time as he was moving to a new job so um i haven't quite looked at how he's doing it but my understanding is you know he plugs in all right hey create a a news you know, blurb on this, 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 and this, and then it'll spit it out and kind of be a little creative. And I'll tell you, it does a good job. So it's definitely, uh, I'm not going to say chat 
Uh, GTP is one of our most creative writers, <laughs> but it does a good job. But it's only done it under his issues. So it's not across the board being done, uh, but it is um, it, it, it has been during when if you go back and see Brandon's issues, I, I'm trying to remember what his last month was. I think it was in maybe June or July. He was using it some. So. You can check that out if you want. Very good. Um, I was actually thinking a little bit before before we uh, we started the interview around, um, you know, how AI can kind of support, you know, content producers within the diplomacy space. And it was one thing that I was surprised when you look at the, the volume of, of what you produce and what your uh, content editors help with the um, with diplomacy briefing. It got me thinking I'm surprised that 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 um, uh, that corpus of information that you've got there hasn't necessarily been converted into something like, you know, a YouTube channel, uh, because I would have thought it wouldn't be too difficult to kind of take the verbiage, um, you know, create a, an appropriate backing track that's kind of whether it's a real life person or an AI is kind of actually, you know, voicing all that over and adding a couple of, you know, images over the top. Um, I thought that would probably be a good way to not only get further word out about the game as a whole, but also around the briefing itself. Um, I don't know if you had any views or opinions on that at all. Well, that's a cool idea. I mean, so I I would have to look into how that was done, and then definitely we would have to bring on somebody who would coordinate that and put mm -hmm. that up. Because again, I at at this point, like I wouldn't have the time to do that specifically. But you know, if there was somebody that was really interested in kind of figuring out how we could use. Um, chat gdp or, or something along those lines to to create an actual video off of that uh, that that would be interesting and i think for like you guys um there might be a way to just create your show notes straight from chat gdp yeah i think there's there's a number of different um uh, suppliers or even kind of you know um, open source software that can kind of you know take a recording convert it all into like a transcript and can then summarize it. Um, so look, I guess this is a shout out not only for you, Umble, but also for ourselves or any of, <laughs> any of our listeners or any of your readers who uh, are technically minded and want to kind of help out in that way because we could probably do with that exactly the same thing as well. We've got, you know, uh, not literally hours, we've got literally days of audio that we could kind of, you know, convert uh, into video format and, um, you know, have somebody involved in that. But I think neither Ken or I at the moment have the time for that. But uh, if, again, if anyone wants to kind of step up and, um, you know, give back to the community and get the message out, because at the end of the day, I think YouTube's probably, and we've seen this with DBN um, and also with Legendary Tactics and with, um, you know, Captain Meme with, with Diplostrats and a whole heap of these different channels. If you kind of look at what the, the views of some of those are, whilst you might have a thousand subscribers, um, and which is actually quadrupled for your knowledge in that four years. I think last time we had you on, it was only about 250. Um, you know, you look at how many people watch YouTube videos um, and it's a great way of kind of getting the message out there. I think it was actually, um, I think it might have actually been Bradley Grace when we kind of talked to him. Um, I don't know if we actually had this one on, on tape or not or whether we were just talking to him. And he basically got into the game, I think, from, you know, a, a, a YouTube video. Didn't know about diplomacy until he kind of stumbled upon that. So I think there's a great opportunity for um, obviously, DBN's doing a wonderful job at the moment doing this, but there's probably other ways to, um, you know, reuse existing content, whether that's in a, you know, a 
print format through through uh, diplomacy briefing or with our own podcast to kind of maybe create some uh, you know other crossover alternatives for for the the video audience. Would you like to hear a story about the briefing's growth that I've never told anyone? Oh, humble. You, you, you had me as soon as you said, would you like to hear a story? And then you got to the end of it. I went, yes, I absolutely. I want to hear this story. <laughs> okay. So I don't think I've ever told anyone this. Uh, when I started the briefing, I told my wife, I said, you know what? If I could just get the subscriber base to 100 people, so I, I would feel like this amount of work that I'm putting into this would be worth it if I can just get to 100. And so since it's an email based uh, setup and of course, you know, during the, in 2019, um, I, the community was more fractured. I mean, there's still a lot of different fractured, uh, fractured maybe is not the right word, but there's different little fiefdoms almost. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing still, I suppose, to a certain extent, but it was even more so. And there wasn't the only unifying space was diplomacy world. And that came out once a quarter. And I have no idea how many people on different sections saw it anyway. So I was like, I really got to get the word out about this newsletter. So, you know, I posted in some different sites, but I was like, you know, I need to get emails. So uh, there was a few things I did. The first thing I did was I got a web scraper. I think it was like 30 bucks. And I scraped like every email from web diplomacy and play diplomacy. Now, let me add, I didn't put them into my subscription base. I sent them one email that said, if you'd like to do this, you can sign up. So I wasn't just like spamming in the sense, I guess it was kind of a spamming, but I wasn't like spamming uh, in the sense like I'm going to drop you into this and now you're stuck until you unsubscribe. But it was, let me just let you know this is going on. And and I, I scraped things like uh, the old diplomatic core, um, I, and a lot of these email addresses were like no longer any good, but uh, that's one of the things that like helped me jump to like 120, probably within like four or five weeks of starting it. Um, I also, uh, the um, so before people moved to Discord, the face-to-face -face community kind of organized on WebEx and Cisco's uh, kind of system. And I had some kind of plugin that like could take the emails from like everybody in that group. So I sent everybody one email and I, I did mass it though through Gmail. So I got a few Gmail accounts like shut down because they're like, Hey, you're spamming. And uh, in fact, one of our, the main Gmail account I used to set everything up got pulled down at one point and I had to like fight to get it back up. And after that, I was like, I got to create some other emails so that if it gets taken down, I at least keep my, my actual one. But I probably like sent out when it started, I don't know, probably 3,000 some emails. And a lot of those were just, you know, old bad emails from like, you know, back in 2003. But I, I scraped and grabbed everything I could from all kinds of sites, old sites, everything. And that's kind of what like started the, the briefing. And by the time I talked with you guys, you know, it was about 250 and that was probably getting into the new year or something like that. But, uh, Anyway, I, I don't think I've ever told anybody that, but uh, it, it, it's kind of like one of those more uh, seedy starts to the briefing, how it got going. But uh, this is something that only your listeners can know that probably nobody cares about, but it's still kind of a funny story. I love the story. Um, I think the last time we, we spoke, you, you did talk about you had a goal of getting to 100. Um, and surprisingly, as you started telling that story, I went, yeah, actually, I remember getting an email. <laughs> that's how I found out about it. And that's how I subscribed. So, um, 
Here's it obviously it, it, it worked thing. enough. Sorry. Yeah, let me tell you another funny one. So Captain Meme. So probably all your listeners are, you know, if you're in diplomacy, you kind of know him. He actually won our ambassador award last year, but uh, I scraped his email. I guess he played diplomacy and I like sent him an email and uh, he like got back to me. He's like, I'm not doing diplomacy anymore. Don't email me or something like that. And um, he may have reached out and hit me on Discord because I may have emailed him and then he may he maybe knew I was on Discord. And he's like, I'm not doing diplomacy. And then about, I don't know, eight or nine months, he was like back into it. He was back on the drug. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he was like very much like, don't email me. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. But then, then he got an award a few years later from us for all the work he did for diplomacy. But I, I definitely got, a, I don't think I got that many that were like, hey, what are you doing emailing me? But um, I'm sure there were plenty of people that just deleted it or probably a lot of it. I think Google started just throwing them into spam too. So who knows how many even actually got it. Uh, look, from that point of view, thank you for getting Marcus back into the game and not losing him forever. <laughs> I don't know if that was me, but uh, I definitely, when I reached out to him, he was out and uh, he didn't want anything to do with diplomacy. Fantastic. Um, so you, you kind of, you said when you were originally pitching this to your wife, you know, you had a goal of 100. What, what does she think now that you've got about 1,000 or so people receiving the newsletter each week? Oh, I don't think she cares how many. She's just glad that uh, I don't I'm not as uh, pouring as much free time into it as I did getting it going, because it was it was I know in the the recording that we had the first interview, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a few hours. It was not like two hours a week. It was way more than that. And it was late nights. I remember looking back to that and I was like, I, I when I'm talking about right after we got done with the interview and I was like, that was like an aspirational thing. You know, that's how much I want to. But with building this thing up, it takes a lot more. But aspiration is like I want to do about two hours a week. And she's super happy that I don't have that that much anymore that I do as far as uh, work on building it out. It, it runs itself and I just got to kind of keep track of everything. And we, we've got an organization now that just, you know, it, it clicks along. And so that's where she's happy. I don't think the, you know, everything that the briefing does now is. I, th- I think it's fine, but it's not something she's like super proud of with me about. She's just kind of happy it doesn't doesn't bleed now over into the other time with the family and all that. I, I remember when you said that it took about two hours to pull it all together each week. And I, I remember thinking at the time, geez, that's impressive. You know, what I mean? <laughs> so, well, I well, the problem then was, you know, I was I was like. Like I was telling you, I, I was scraping the emails. I was building out a website. I was, um, you know, as it continued to go on, building up a Patreon, making training videos, um, working with editors to kind of show how we do it. And there, there was just there was like multiple sections that kind of like the briefing kind of moved into new things that we did, whether it was, you know, making Google calendars to do tournaments Um creating resources, connecting with new people. And so the other thing too, then is like, you know, the virtual started up, I was playing virtual too. So that took some time and I, I had stopped playing online, like a uh, text-based and press email uh, games. And I then moved to virtual, which she liked a little bit better uh, because it virtual is something that, you know, you could play on a weekend and be done, you know, play a game for six hours and you're done. And it wasn't like every day you're writing writing stuff because I, I stopped playing press in 2019 and I basically stopped playing virtual 
probably last year. Um, the last diplomacy I played was a year ago at Worlds in Vermont. Um, so she's kind of happy that my diplomacy is probably like, I don't know, 30 minutes or so a week, maybe a little more because there's sometimes extra things I have to do. Again, we have the award season coming up, but uh, that may be a long answer, but I, I don't think she's um, – it's it's way up on there that the diplomacy briefing founder. I'm so glad I married someone who founded the diplomacy newsletter that everybody talks about. I, I don't think that's a super. She doesn't brag about it to anyone that I know about. Oh, it's a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> so, so what you you don't, you don't actually play much at the moment currently? No, no. But I think people kind of go through that at times. I. I, I played a lot when I was when I first found out about the game by a lot. I was like I, I was playing one game, <laughs> I should say, but it was one of those three day deadline games. But I played when I found out about the game in 2007, I 2008, I played games up to 2013 and I even went to a face to face tournament in Chicago. And um, I did I did well enough that I it was interesting. I got done with that tournament. I was like, you know what? I I got a trophy at this tournament. And I was kind of like I felt like it was a closing chapter a little bit in my life. I like this game, but, you know, I've kind of done this and I'm, I'm good with this. And then 2018, I got I moved up to the Detroit area and kind of looked and saw that someone had a diplomacy group going. And I kind of got back into it and um, kind of was really involved in it for probably about three years. And um, I, I didn't, of course, I'm still connected. I didn't just completely cut it out. Uh, with the briefing and all that, but yeah, I, I, you know, I've kind of got into a few other things, um, this summer that, uh, particularly kayaking is what I've got into this, this last summer and into this new year. And so that's kind of been something that I've been focused on. I still do diplomacy, but just not quite, um, pouring the time into doing like virtual games, but I, I hope to maybe go to a tournament next year. And what type of tournament do you think you'd go to? Well, I would really like to be able to go to the next Worlds that they're going to have, I think, there in San Francisco. Um, but it would either be that or the Chicago Weasel Tournament, which is, you know, I can drive to that. That's easy. So probably one of those um, if everything works out. So I would like to be able to do that. But I have to, again, I have to uh, make sure that everything's good there on the home front. And, and I should probably say this, too. Like my wife and I, we have a great relationship. And uh, she doesn't, you know, she, she's the, definitely the love of my life and a blessing. And I married up, no doubt about it. And she's incredibly patient. And so uh, she's just not a big fan of diplomacy, which I, I can't blame her for, for not being a great fan of it with uh, the, the, the amount of time it kind of took getting the, the briefing going and playing some of those games. Uh, I will say this, though, and just to put this out there for people that aren't married, I was not into diplomacy when we got married. So she had no idea. Uh, it was one of those time. It was one of those moments where I had that lull, right? So 2013, eh, you know, I, I kind of done everything I wanted to, and then we get married in 2015, and 2018 comes around, and I had told her my favorite game was diplomacy, but she'd never see me play or anything like that. So uh, she had no idea <laughs> about that, and so anyway, she got to see how much I love the game and enjoy the the challenges of the game. So. Uh, just a, a tip there. Um, you probably should, uh, t if you're going to marry someone, let them know about it and 
what it all means or I guess hide it. I wasn't hiding it. I just wasn't in it. And um, but she's a champ and she uh, she, she, she supported me through all through all of that. And now she says, I'm glad you're not playing as much. Oh, well, um, that's that's understandable. Um, I, th- I think each each of our partners have different perspectives on on how they view the game. Um, I think I think Ken's partner and Ken jump in at these stages is, is supportive. You know, has occasionally I think she's played once or twice, but you know, isn't really into it. And and my wife's like not interested at all. But I'm glad it gives you something to keep you occupied with. Oh, so here's another good story. Now, I'm not trying to hijack the the podcast or anything, but. Um, one of the things I enjoy doing in the briefing is looking back at uh, like old articles from the postal era. And there was apparently like lots of discussion, especially among people that like made these zines about like how much time it was taking. Because you have to imagine like I do the briefing, but I like press send and it's done. Like these people had to like mimeograph things, address it. They hand adjudicated everything. And there was like lots of people that they attribute their divorce to diplomacy. And um, the guy who started Diplomacy World, Walt Buchanan, like both him and his wife, his wife helped him like all the time preparing the zines and everything like that. Like they both say, yeah, diplomacy was what got us divorced. He was so into diplomacy so much, putting out Diplomacy World, putting out the Hoosier archives, all this stuff. And I just got tired of it. Um, So uh, it definitely can like probably put a strain on relationships. I I didn't put a strain on our relationship. I mean, we were fine. It just I, you know, I, I think she, I, well, let me put it this way. I'm a, I can be a very obsessive personality and like, I know that's about me when I really get um, on track with something, I can be really focused on it. And so, um, anyway, that, that was definitely something because, you know, with diplomacy, especially with the way we play it, if you're playing press games, like you are focused in on the. The emails you're focusing on if you're playing by a text-based game. And so you can be so focused on that that, you know, you're not paying attention to what's going on around you. So uh, that was one reason why I only probably lasted about six or seven months on press. And then was like, this is taking too much of my head, too much up in my head spaces. And uh, then I moved to virtual and and that was a lot easier because then it was just like, okay, six hours and then I'm done. Well, I, I do. I do hope that when you get back into either worlds in San Fran, I think it's 2025. I think next year's Milan, um, or something else. Um, that you know, it, it'll probably be the again. You you might might end up you know Marcus uh, or Captain memeing yourself again to get back <laughs> into the game more often. Um, I, I haven't got any more particular questions that I wanted to go through, but Ken, how about anything from your viewpoint? Nothing from me. Uh, thanks a lot, Humble. I've, I've picked up a lot actually about how AI is being used in your in, in that space and given some ideas um, around that. And I really appreciate you talking to us around, you know, getting to know how people compete versus what knowing knowing an actual person um, and how diplomat there's that distinction going on there and some of those stories that you shared with us exclusively i really appreciate it thank you yeah of course and if i can mention one thing too we have our diplomacy awards that we are going to be um putting out the nominees in next month in january and that's something we started up two years ago Uh, there used to be a time where 
you know, the diplomacy hobby, uh, particularly during the post era, gave out awards for, you know, those that organized, those that wrote articles and all these things. And so about two years ago, uh, we decided to start that up again because it really hadn't been anything along those fronts for 20 years. So we started the Ambassador Award uh, two years ago. And the way we do it is we got a committee. Um, we get a con- committee of different people that are connected kind of broadly in the hobby. And we look through everybody that's doing work in the hobby that we know of, whether from people, you know, organizing tournaments to people producing content to all kinds of things. And generally, we try to look at people starting new things in the year, not just like legacy awards, but something that's kind of new on, that's come out. And but it, we put forth a recommendation to our readers and then our readers vote and we get a, a trophy made by um, a man named Matt Krill, who uh, does a lot of different woodworking. It's a really beautiful trophy. And whoever gets the most votes, we send them the Ambassador of the Year Award. Last year, we started the Diplomacy Literati Award, which was for the best written article for the diplomacy community. And again, we put out a list of about five that our committee comes up with, five articles, and then our readership votes on it. So if you would like to be able to be a part of that, then subscribe at Diplomacy Briefing. That's where we uh, send out the uh, the ballots to everyone. And I think it's important because it, it it's good for the hobby to recognize those that are pouring their time to make uh, this hobby a fun and enjoyable place. There's, you know, you're not making money on this, so it's all passion projects for everybody. And most people. You know, they they're consuming the content, they're enjoying the content, and I think it's a good thing to have something that shows that appreciation. So that's why the, we started up the Diplomacy Awards again, and I encourage everybody to go ahead and subscribe there at diplomacybriefing.com so you can be a part of voting for that uh, those two particular awards. Sounds great. Looking forward to seeing who's nominated and having casting our ballots. So. Um uh, Umbel, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I think we, we've kind of covered off lots and lots of great stuff and, um, you know, we've got to probably make sure that we don't wait another four years until we have you on again. Sounds good. Hey, I enjoyed being on here and thank you guys too for all that you do. You are, besides the diplomacy world, you're probably the longest running content producer that I can think of off the top of my head and you guys have been going for – um, man, I, I, I wouldn't, was it 2014 or something? Uh, 15 or 16. I can't remember which. Okay. All right. I know it was in uh, August. That was in August some one year, but anyway. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you guys have been going at it and staying, you know, pretty consistent as far as with putting out uh, content. And of course I love that because the briefing basically is we're telling other people what others are doing. So, uh, as you guys put things out, you know, we give you guys a shout out every time because um, the work that you guys do are like actual interviews. And I think that's stuff, generally speaking, that the broad diplomacy community would be interested in. And so there's a lot of specialty stuff that people put out, um, whether they're tactical things and that kind of stuff. But because of what you guys do, like we always feature your podcasts every single time you put one out. So thank you guys for what you do, too. No, thank you. Um, although we have definitely been a lot more uh, lax this year. I think we uh, both Ken and I acknowledge we've had um, 
been a big year for both of us. So uh, our, our schedule isn't quite as productive as it used to be. I think we used to probably get something out every two or three weeks, and it's now about every month. But uh, 2024, hey, Ken, we'll see if we can get a little bit better. I'll, I'll put it on a New Year's resolution list. There we go. <laughs> that that and, and uh, you know, uh, becoming a better player, of course. Um, Umbel, thank you very much again for your time. And um, look, as I said before, uh, look forward to getting the next edition uh, each week as we always get into our ML box. So uh, thank you again. Thank you. Cheers. Oh. Cheers. Um, hopefully the Mike Littles is not, you know, too out of sync from the last place, but um, hopefully you guys enjoy, you folks enjoyed that um, interview with Umbel. It was a pleasure. I really love talking to Umbel. I mean, I know it's been a while, and it's kind of weird when you go back and look at it, it's like, like pre-pandemic, and so much has changed since then. But the quality of the actual briefing has increased and increased over time. And but it's kept to its original format, which I think it still works great. Well, I think it's fantastic that this, you know, he's got a group of editors who are involved. Um, you know, he's got people who are looking after the the graphics and you know all sorts of things I wouldn't have even thought about. Yeah. Um, to, to get it to get it out there and to get it out there on a weekly basis um, and turning it into a professional outfit. You know, to, to, to take out this the content on a regular basis is, is really impressive. Yeah. Yep. Um, I guess I also enjoyed hearing about the the, the humble humble beginnings uh, of, of the of the briefing. Uh, it. Yeah. No, I, I did enjoy that conversation. It was it was, it was a good to, good one to listen into. Yeah. It was. I mean, I, I, I kind of went back and re-listened to the original interview before we interviewed him. And I remember listening at the time going, and it brought back memories of Adam saying, oh yeah, I only spent like two hours a week on this. And I thought at the time, I was like, fuck, you know. Pretty impressive. Pretty output. impressive. Yeah. And then we went, nah, it wasn't quite two hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, open the lid now that it's, uh, now that it's running. Um, just how, you know, how much of a um, investment yep. and time playing this, this this hobby can be yeah it's true like it can really consume your time in a good way i reckon i mean it's a good diplomacy but you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know us catching up and, and doing this for years on years but yeah, it's yeah. uh if, if you do let it consume you yeah it can be a, a quite a long rabbit hole yeah hey you know. but i think i think what's important there is and look, I've seen players over the years do this, much the same way that he's recognised the amount of time dedicated towards the, you know, the content creation. Yeah. You know, provided you can actually recognise, okay, I need to pull back. Yes. Yeah. And Where, where's the healthy balance? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. yeah. let's be honest again, we do get quite a carried away. I've seen this. <laughs> I say we, I mean we as a community, as, as a community as players, yes. you know, yes. you, all of a sudden you sign up to like 20 games, you're like, how did that happen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, thank you, Umble, and I um, hope to speak to you guys again. And I guess you'll be in a. It'll be a, a, a great a diplomacy briefing where you can say, "Hey, you know, you, this week the guys talk to yours truly." Yeah, yeah, yeah. On diplomacy briefing. So yeah, there we go. And look. There were other things that came out of that which I thought was interesting, you know, um, 
and this kind of carries over to how we got um, Jamal reached out to us recently during the week around having right, a, yes. a catch up, you know, almost like a crossover podcast with his podcast. Because it's a Christian and a Muslim, no, Christian and a Buddhist walk, Christian into a bar. and a Buddhist walk into a bar, um, which is well, it's non diplomacy related, but uh, I, I do believe all four of us play diplomacy. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that crossover and we're yeah. looking forward to bringing that to you guys um, when, when we get that organised. Yeah, yeah so what happens. So, but again, it kind of touches on the fact that, you know, I never knew that Umbra was, you know, a pastor. No idea. And, yep. you know, um, it's, again, it's interesting how, you know, as he pointed out, you know, a game that's got a reception about being devious and backstabbing and whatever like that still tends to attract people that follow a very strong ethical view of the world at the same time so a spiritual calling yeah so, it's, it's um i i thought it was insightful the the distinction that humble made between well made, made that diplomacy is not so much reading the individual is reading how the individual competes I thought that was a really clear, interesting distinction. Yeah. Insightful distinction to be made, I think. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to delineating some of the more unscrupulous tactics that are associated with the game at times, that, that the game that comes with the game, uh, with well, why do we view it as unscrupulous? Is, is, is yeah. that if it's on the game, is it is it part of the game? Yeah. Is it therefore you know why why is that then considered a a negative trait, I guess. Exactly. It's an interesting exactly. conversation to be had around it, I think. I'm yeah. sure no doubt we'll kind of explore that more with Jamal. Yeah, Jamal. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yep. Um, look, it's that time of year where... Should we just say where we moved to? We should first say where we moved to, <laughs> yes. So we moved to a new bar called Alice. Yes. And as you can probably work out, Alice is an 80s rock bar. Yes. So I was expecting Kiss and, uh, I don't know, gun, Gunners and a bit of, you know, nothing wrong with oh, the axe. Is it Meatloaf? It's not too bad. Yeah, meatloaf, yeah. So but, um, enjoying it. What, what are you having to drink here? Uh, oh, what am I drinking? <laughs> it, it's it, was a, a, it wasn't a sea poly thing, was it? No? No, it was... Um, One underneath or above it. Sundance a surprise or something like that, yeah. Any good? That's not too bad. Yeah. So this is also a bourbon bar. Yes. The, the list was miles long. The list for the bourbon was a miles long. The list for wine was like four. Yeah. And I looked at all four and went, no, 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 there's a feel. So I'm just having a uh, Buffalo Trace. So, um, Which is? It's just a Kentucky bourbon. Kentucky bourbon. On the rocks. On the rocks. Okay. So, um, yes. I um, have been known to have bourbon when I'm out with friends out bush. So, um, so it's not new to you. Yeah. No, it's not new to me. No, no, no. And Buffalo Trace isn't a bad go-to. It just for being nice and safe and generic. So, I'm constantly being distracted by that picture of the hop. Oh, it's the hop kind of sitting on Kit. On a, on a Ferrari? No, it's Kit. Oh, it's Kit. You don't know... You don't know no, Kit. That's the hop, isn't it? Yeah, but you don't know Kit. No. Okay. So you know how before when we had our listeners kind of yelling at us 
virtually when we couldn't fucking remember which kind of attached side is yet. Now this is the moment where anybody who grew through the 80s... Well, I was born at the start of the 80s, so I was too young to remember much of it. Okay, so there's this TV show called Knight Rider. Which I heard of. Okay. So Hoff was, was a cop. Okay. Okay. And is that the one where the car talks to him? Yes. Right, okay. And it's got this red light that kind of goes across the front of it. Kind of like the, the uh, side... The, the, the one that Robot Chicken makes a lot of fun of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and the, yeah, so it was, a, it was a, the car also solved, solving mysteries. Oh, yeah. okay. So that's, 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 the, that's the car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Much the same way that when it comes to, you know, crossover, like, current song is Patrick Swayze. What's that? The... Tagline to oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's Patrick Swayze. Is it? Well, maybe it is not. Yeah, I know. I think it's not shit. Is it not shit like the wind? I don't That's know. It's a different side. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I know it is. She's like the wind. Patrick Swayze was the um, the male lead in um, uh, Dirty Dancing. Was he? Yeah. I thought that was John Travolta. Oh, that was that was, that was, that was um, Saturday Night Fever. Oh, in okay. Greece. Yeah. Oh, there we are. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I got a bone up on my ears. So, so maybe we might concentrate on the diplomacy where we both <laughs> we find. Actually know what uh, we can well, kind of know what we're talking about. Yeah, we can both do that. Yeah. Um, but it is that time of year where um, the inaugural who is the better V diplomacy player, oh, yes. Clark, uh, is awarded. Um, or recorded, I should say, because it's going to... For prosperity. For prosperity. Uh, and it's going to um, live on your office wall, home office wall, Gavin. Um, I can't fucking read it. <laughs> well, it says... Okay, I'll, um, I'll get my phone out. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the glare's so, a bit yeah, tricky. So the, um, um, the, the, the title is The Better V-Dip Flyer. Last year... Kana won, and I think we're still recording as Kana and Ambi because it's on. Yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's a bit, yeah, 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 yeah. So last year on Beat Diplomacy, you defeated me, two thousand two hundred and forty-three points, yes, points, correct, to one thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine. Yes, so that's two hundred and forty-four points. Excellent, thank you. Yep. This year you still beat me, but you'd fallen a bit. You're down to two thousand and eighty-three. But where are you? Have you risen or fallen? I've, I've fallen a bit too. Right. <laughs> to 1,893. Which is a difference of? 190? Okay. 210. So, so the gap's decreased. Slightly. Not by much. But not by much. Maybe you should stop. Maybe you should jump into some games that are starting, Gavin. Well, yes, yes, that's true. Well, first off, I'll say congratulations. Well done. Well, fuck, we just knocked over the recorder. <laughs> Oops. Still recording. I'll Still do going. it again. Well done. Congratulations, Ken. No worries. Well done, Kana. Yep. Um, this is... I'm looking forward to the day when it switches. When it switches, yeah. It will. It will. You just need one big win. That, that's, that's the win that you're chasing. One big one. Well, that's done me well in the past. <laughs> so, okay, thank you very much. I'll look after this and I will um, cherish it. And um, this time next year. Next year, no doubt, hand it back to you when you're winning again. <laughs> <laughs>
games. Yes. I was thinking, would you be up for playing a for real game with me? Worth points from the beginning. Yeah. And I don't know whether we do with another one, which is like, you know, we invite our podcast listeners or whether we just open it up to anybody. I don't know. And this is using the new variant that's just landed on V-Diplomacy. Oh, the uh, Sahara. Sands, Sands of the Sahara. South of the Sahara. South of the Sahara. Yes. Although Sands of the Sahara makes a bit of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is, this is an interesting variant by David E. Cohen. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's got some interesting territorial uh, ways of managing the Sahara Desert and ways of managing the, um, like the ocean Neanic regions. Um, so I'm, I don't recall if it's five, six or seven territories in each of those regions and they're indicative of uh, where they are adjacent to. So for instance, can we bring it up? Yeah, let's bring it up. Sorry, just loading it up here. South of Sahara. South of Sahara. Sahara. Now we should mention, so David E. Cohen created the variant, but it's been brought to, to Beta Lone C by um, Enriador. Good on you, Enriador. So it's a very much a, um, a horizontal style map, you know what I mean? Okay. You got it there? Oh, you got it there. there. Yeah, 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 we got it. So Sahara's got five regions on it. Now, the territory itself is considered impassable but it's got those five like their oases yep. right and each of those five oases are adjacent to each other and adjacent to each of the territories that's adjacent to the Sahara so the Sahel essentially the Sahel region um, and the the ocean region has three territories and in much the same way each of those territories one two and three are adjacent to each other but they're adjacent to each of the uh, the coastal regions and um, well, the, the, the sea, the seas of the coast and the yep. coast, uh, just the seas of the coast. No nope. coast at some points. So there's an island and two coastal regions it's adjacent to. Yep. And it's a what? Four play, five player five game. Five player game. Yep. Well, yeah, I'm open. I, I'd be open to playing a game, like a, a, a full press game. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that, um, it's, it's kind of like a couple of David E. Cohen things where you've either got, you know, uh, that stacking happening, not stacking, but you know, within the, um, uh, how we turn the sea lanes or whatever like that. You know, yeah, as an alternative to the sea lanes. That's yeah. very much the same type of thing here, but just visually different. One's like visually done through a sea and one's done through the, the, um, the desert. Yeah. Which is not too different to that one I played that he, I playtested one, which was around uh, China. And you had the barbarians which were coming down from that type of area. Okay, yeah. But, um, so I kind of did reach out to David just to kind of get a bit more of an understanding about the variant and where it came from and what he was thinking about when he was all pulling it together. Oh, what do you have to say? He had a lot of interesting things to say. So, um, so again, he, he wanted just to kind of make sure that we did, and we definitely have, you know, called out the Riador for his um, doing the implementation work, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
he, he kind of pointed out, and he's talked about this before when we've actually interviewed him, one thing he really likes doing is going to a map and creating a map or a variant where no one's done anything like that before. Okay, true. Yep. So, you know, he kind of looked at you know the fact that nobody's really kind of covered this geographic region, yep. and he thought that would be a nice little challenge, um, particularly in that pre-colonial period. So, yeah. acknowledging, you know, the, the period of the time, you know, the indigenous locations and everything like that. So, be like, so who... The Mansa Musa and the, the I can't recall off the top of my head, you've got the promising thing there, you can probably yeah, say what okay. the letter. Anyway, keep going. So originally actually wanted to do the entire continent south of the desert, but found it wouldn't work. As the uh, the spatial relationships between the towers were a bit off and they kinda of were a bit contrived. Yeah, okay. And I think I think with what we're planning with um, Big stick diplomacy is a little bit different because you do have that ability to move around quite quickly if you've got, you know, fleets and whatever that obviously didn't quite exist in that pre-colonial that particular time. period. Yeah. Um, so just to jump in, it's Mali, Benin, Benomen, Bornu, and Jolov are the five. Yeah. So he kind of realised by just kind of making it a nice compact map and just keeping it just to West Africa and that area would be far more. Um, less contrived yeah and one thing he really wanted to try to do was actually he's never done a, what he considered to be a small variant with a small number of players so keeping it to a five player variant something he hasn't done before that's true yeah and yeah, keeping yeah. it down to like only 25 supply centers so a nice quick easier not easier game but a quick challenge yep um so that was quite good um he found you know the idea of Moving around a border or a dot actually made a lot more of an impact when you're talking about a smaller map. Sure. Compared to a bigger map, which yeah. actually makes a lot of sense. So he kind of compared that with, you know, Known World 901, where you've got 15 players and 109 supply centers. True. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the balance has to be more finely tuned with a smaller yeah. player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was actually funny when I reached out to him and said, look, oh, look, I'd like to know a little bit more around made this one, you know what I mean? Talk, let's talk about the new variant. He went, which new variant? He started talking about <laughs> not this one, he's talking about all these other ones because of course he's a prolific variant creator. But he said he's like, he's had a really, really busy 2023 when it comes to variants. Yeah, because there's a few that he's been working on, isn't there? Yeah, so there's Twilight of the Classical World, which okay. is an eight-player variant which covers Europe, North Africa, and Western and Central Asia immediately prior to the rise of Islam. He said it's, it's been play tested and a few changes made based on that. So that would be that one there. Oh, it's a nice looking map. It is a nice looking map. So that goes all the way across from Persia to. I'd say it's actually not Persia, Morocco. it's actually more like that uh, western half of India, all the way through to Sahara in Africa, up to Morocco, uh, Iberian Peninsula. Western Europe, the, the southern bit of England. Yeah, knocking out the uh, Baltic states. Okay. Oh, that's a cool one. The, the Flowery War. Yeah, Flowery War. So this was... Um, I never actually heard of the Flowery War until recently. On, I was listening to a, um, a podcast. I don't know if you listen to The Rest is History. Uh, no. And they were talking about the... Um, uh, Cortez and the Mexica, which is the Mexicans, yeah, and how all these different, you know, uh, tribes in central, sorry, 
what they call it, Mesoamerica. We're always having fights with each other, and that was the actual flowery wars. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just before the arrival of the... The, the Spaniards. The Spaniards. And what do we got here? Diplomacy del Cid, which is what? Is that the Reconquista? Let me just check what, he's, what he actually mentioned. It's that... It covers the Iberian Peninsula and some adjacent areas in the first Taifa period? T-A-I-F-A. I don't know that period. Is that it the sounds, Muslim? It sounds... When, when, when there's Arabic, doesn't it? Moorish, Moorish control of the, the, the Iberian Peninsula, is that? So he's looking at running a playtest of that diplomacy bill soon, soon. And he's currently doing the playtesting for Flowery War. Uh, about to start it, sorry. So the Flowery War is by player variant as well. I said before, pre-colonial uh, Mesoamerica. He said uh, a playtest has just started, but Kana may be interested. Kana, no, you can. May be interested to know that I've gone over to the dark side. Oh yeah. And added a unit transform mechanic to deal with <laughs> the fact that there are two isolated groups of water provinces. Can you enlighten me on that? Yes. Um, the known world 901 variant. Yeah. When I introduced it to VDIP. I made a unilateral decision just to put in transform powers on, on that, and David's been bitter about that ever since. <laughs> but I did that without consultation. So we, we did we did make another variant which removes the ability to transform just as David intended. Um, but yeah, damage was done um, by, by putting that option in there. Maybe there should be like a nine world nine oh one variant just without the transform. There is, that's what I'm saying, there is. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we fixed that and did that. So there's two there's two versions of the variant. I believe so, yeah. I wonder which one I keep playing, because I always lose that one. <laughs> transform one, probably. I think it's the transform one. Yes. <laughs> anyway, thank you, uh, thank you, David, for creating that variant uh, and those other variants that are in the wings. Uh, so would you be keen to play a game of that one? Is yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. You're joining from the start? Do you want to start? Okay. Make, well, it, for, make it for points, make it for realsies. Make it for realsies. Um, do we uh, make it anonymous? Sure. I think it's fair. It's fair. It's fair. Okay, yeah. Although I tend to know the way you communicate anyway. <laughs> Grunts, usually. Yeah. <laughs> you support me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm not playing a, I'm not, I'm not in a full press game at the moment, so happy to do that. Oh, you want to play full press? No, I'm not in any full press. So, do so you want full press or, or gunboat? No, oh, let's do full press. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Two days. Two day phase. Two day phase. Three day phase. Three days. Yeah, maybe. Two, three days. Three days. Okay. Three days. A nice, relaxed, plenty of time to communicate. Do you want to do this open to the world or just keep it to podcast listeners? No, let's make it open to the world. Diplomacy Games plays South of Sahara. I don't know. What would be the name? That sounds pretty good. Alright. That works. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'll, uh, I'll set it up in the next day or two. The lighting's not the best in this. No, it's not. No. Um, Do you want to move somewhere else? Did you want to move somewhere? Because I know I'm, a gin bar. A what? A gin bar. Well, let's go there. Well, let me. You want to finish off your yeah, beer? Yeah, so let's, let's, let's do that. 
I'll tell you what, you didn't need much encouragement to say as soon as I said, let's go to a gin bar. Yeah, sure. Down, skull, done. Very um, responsible. Yeah, because if they've got that chilli gin, I'll be up with that. 100%. Okay. That, that was beautiful. Right. Well, let's go to our third bar for the evening. Third bar? Yep. <laughs> and, and, talk, and we're going to talk, um, well, we're going to talk the variant that we're working on. Oh, we've got lots of other and shit lots too. of other stuff too. Absolutely. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Be okay. soon. Okay, okay. Right. We've got no cheers because our drinks haven't arrived yet. Uh, we've on their them. way. We've moved to a gin bar. And the name of it is? Red Queen. Red Queen. Okay. And I don't know how or why, but somebody nearby is practicing the bagpipes. So I don't know if you guys <laughs> can hear that online. Are you listening? Our Scottish... Um, Nice, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know how many Scottish listeners we have. It's, uh, it, it's, it's bucketing down, but we're actually sitting in a laneway with a roof on top of the laneway. Yep. Um, mainly because it's got good lighting. Excellent light. Excellent light. Unlike <laughs> glass plus, which is a <laughs> fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is important for the next bit of the show. Because I've printed out uh, essentially the four quadrants of the big stick diplomacy variant. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're looking at there, Gavin, is the rough size of what that would look like on your telephone, on, on, your, on, your, on, your, on your screen, right? So it's the same resolution map has been made. These are one pixel yep. borders um, as Europa Renovatio. So that's quite a large map if you were to blow that up and make it large, right? Um, there's slights distortion to the land to the to the north south on all of them mm-hmm. to try and like to remove some of that area areas of the map that's not relevant as much as possible but still keeping it recognizably that geographic location yeah okay um, and when we get into like the Caribbean or Southeast Asia, I'm sure there's going to be islands that I'm just missing. Hey, can I relate to Negroni first and foremost? I've got Negroni. Thanks. Thank you. That one's... It's your sign. Okay. I said, well, what did we actually order again, Ken? I ordered a... I ordered a tradition thing. Um, no, wasn't it a? I thought it was like a, it had a like ritual a, and ceremonies. I thought it came. It's like a little teapot. Teapot. Where's your fucking teapot? Exactly. I don't know. Maybe they poured uh, it. Maybe, maybe this is your. Oh. No, this is mine here. Maybe the tea comes later. So mine's a barrel aged Negroni. Oh, cheers. Cheers. That's to be savoured slowly. Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, so so I'm sure that I've made errors as I'm doing it on some of the islands, but it, it, it's recognisably those locations that, that, that's there. Now, I know you actually sent through to me these images beforehand, and I said, yep, they're all good. Looks all right. Looks yeah. great. Will I be... Will you be really, really upset with me if I provide you with some um, suggestions? Not at all. Okay. Like now's the time to do it so that I can make adjustments. You don't mind me drawing over this? No, go. 
So I was just thinking that when it comes, okay, so we've got our, we're talking about at the moment about the Western Europe and North African bit of the map. Yep. Uh, again, for those who have obviously listened to the show, you know this is all around a new variant that's evolving five or six players. Six? Six players. So uh, the British Empire, the Dutch, the French, the Spanish, the Portuguese, and the United States of America. Yes. Yeah. Um, set around the same period as the Spanish-American War. 1898. Yes, but expanded out across four theatres of combat. Four quadrants, yeah. Yes, and it's not just the Spanish and the Americans, it's everybody's getting involved. Yes, what would, what, it's a counterfactual. What would happen if... There's lots of counterfactuals in this scenario. <laughs> there are a lot of counterfactuals. It's what would happen if that Spanish-American civil... Uh, Spanish-American war yep. broke... Um, well, spread into other regions and other empires got involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're also throwing in a couple of other counterfactuals of uh, the Barbary Pirates, say, into that. So the US has a presence in that. Yeah, they're taking over the Barbary Pirates in Europe. Yep. Um, and uh, there's, there's a couple of other ones. Yeah, anyway, if, if you want all that shit, go back and listen to the last episode. I think we've gone quite in extensive detail there. Correct. Yeah, what I was just thinking about was on the map here, we, we obviously have a lot of wasted. Sorry, wasted. I use the word wasted in, in inverted commas. Yeah, because a lot of this doesn't is not going to be used. Right? That's right. So I was thinking, is there some way that we can kind of reduce the, the size? So maybe just from the tip of Scotland or whatever. Actually, maybe it goes out more like this. So you still have the, the water, but you kind of cut out know, around there. Yeah, but we still want these islands, don't we? Do you? Well, do you want them? That, that, that's Sicily and Sardinia. That's Corsica, Corsica and, and Sardinia. Sardinia. That's Sicily over here. Do we want any of Italy at all? Well, I, so I kind of assumed that the powers that aren't in the conflict are just like, you can't invade them. They're like Switzerland in classic. Yeah, but we want to keep Tunis? Well, not necessarily. Well, for the Barbary. The Barbary's around here. Are here. Okay. So this line can go. Would that still be? Oh, that's right. Because you're thinking of your little, your, um, your Cause, inverted cause annex or anch- we're thinking of like this, like that. Aren't you? The way, yeah, the way the. That's a good point, actually. The way the distortion works, right, is I can take any square, right. If it's a square, I can then run horizontals at different perspectives, right, and then tell the computer turn that into a flat plane and okay. it will just distort it so that it works i can't what i can't do is go to the right and then down some and then right, yeah, right like yeah. that yeah so what i'm thinking of we need to look at you know from um holland's point of view which is around here isn't it because we need the dutch neither Dutch, but we need to give the dutch an opportunity to expand so to do something you need yeah. to have you need to have a neutral belgium that either france or holland presumably holland would be the first one in there because you'd probably put a here or something like that they can't get into yeah but maybe if they coordinate with England they can kind of dislodge the because you should be able to Holland straight into Belgium in spring yeah theoretically if France and England are coordinating they may be able to kick out Holland if they want to yeah I would have thought but I would have thought Belgium is the obvious one I wouldn't have worried about having Luxembourg as a supply center it could just be a neutral if you want to kind of pass through it but, you know. yep. but yeah actual Italy proper so when it comes to you, these islands here, don't forget that Corsica is French. 
but Sardinia is Italian and Italians aren't in the war so you can probably you'd have to black it out yeah so it's difficult to catch on this on the on this perspective it'll be difficult to catch the French island of Corsica which is why I thought maybe just cut it off just cut it off in which case we lose Tunis yeah but that's okay because the Barbary Coast is more around this area here in North Africa, around modern-day Algeria type of area, I thought. Okay. The two... Okay, so we've got six powers, right? And the yep. idea is that each power is powerful in two areas and weak in two others, yep. right? So which are the two powerful countries that we're going to have on Europe? So... I would have thought France would be powerful France. in Europe. Yep, in Europe. Which means France will be weak in everywhere except Indochina. Correct. It would be the other powerful. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah, okay. Um, I expect America would be weak because it's just... Weak would be USA because it's just the Barbary, Barbary Coast. Coast. Yep. I expect Holland would be weak because it's just... Holland, yep, yep. Dutch, Cause yep. Because we, we've got Holland being strong in southern Africa for the Boers and Dutch East Indies, yep. Uh, we've got a weak Portugal. Weak Portugal, because there's only one supply centre. Unless we make... Um, and I guess, I guess the other thing about this is whether you set up some of the supply centres are kind of like... I can't remember which variants they are, but like in... Um, you know, where you've got the little neutral squares around them. So they're notionally on the map part of a country but they're not like oh yeah that's easy to do to have nominally owned but not not actually occupied and yeah. occupied yeah because I would have thought with Portugal it's probably going to be like it starts with one supply centre but it's easily captured cap, they could capture say Porto or something like that which is in the north or maybe they go down towards Andalusia and Spain or whatever I don't know um, which leaves us with Spain and England Who's going to be strong? I would have thought England. Well, Spain is going to be strong in. We've got a counterfactual, and we've got Spain. I oh know. We've got Spain in. Spain needs to be strong in either the Caribbean or Southeast Asia. We were going it's to going have to be weak yeah. in Africa. We we're going to have. No, no, no. Yeah. Yes. So you're right. So maybe. So Spain is just... You can have two of them in Caribbean, because you can have Cuba and also yep. Puerto Rico. Yep. We had Portugal strong in Caribbean, didn't we? Why not? No, because we can only have two. Yeah. So Portugal would need to be strong in... Portugal has to be strong in Africa. Africa. But where Because else? there's Mozambique and... Um, the one on the west that they were a part of, um, Angola. Yeah, Angola. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's, they've got that on either side of the Dutch and the English. So Portugal... Africa... Yeah, we're going to have Africa, and when we're going to make it, they were going to have Brazil, and that was going to be their strong point. 
in the Caribbean. Yeah. So Portugal's strong in Africa and the Caribbean map. African Caribbean, yes. African Caribbean, okay. Uh, You're gonna have to actually have three strong. Three strong would have to yeah, in have each, three strong in each, each location. Three weak, otherwise it's not the maximum gonna work. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So Portugal will have to be strong in the Caribbean and Africa. Weak yep. in Europe and weak in uh, Southeast Asia. Because they've only got East Timor. Yeah, okay, so that leaves us. So the strong ones on Europe will have to be France, England and Spain. And Spain, right? Easy, done, good. What's their neutral in? Well, it's neutral, so there's, when you say neutral, there's like neutrals everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but we're having each area a standing army. A standing oh, yeah, country, that's right. right, that's independent. Um, look, I think based on that, the logical one would either be two options. Switzerland or Ireland. Switzerland, yeah, we're cutting that off. Yeah, yeah, we kind of just put it maybe more. Just cut it off in the middle, doesn't it? Well, Irish potentially because they are were allied with. Well, Ireland's technically part of England at the time, but there's all that unrest. Un no, not the what well, the precursors. Running up to. Like the, oh yeah. Well, okay. This is again is a suspension of disbelief. It's set in 1899, but maybe we're bringing the Easter Rising forward 15 years to have Ireland as a. As region. A well, it's set up as a neutral. Yeah, you've got to enter Northern Ireland here. And, uh, anyway, yes, you could do that way. With, with Ireland as your middle, okay. Because um, the only other option would be, as I said, Switzerland. I mean, you could make Belgium. Belgium, potentially. That really handicaps Holland, though. Can't yeah. Do any easy supply centers. Depending how you break the sea territories up, you could actually make Ireland quite strategic in between France, England, and Spain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I think Ireland would be the um, standing neutral. And you're just putting one standing neutral in there, isn't it? So you just put it in Dublin. Well. There's a couple of things we can do with, new, with, with neutral armies, right? So, we come to Haiti in the Caribbean, yeah? Yeah. We could say, okay, this, we, could, we could split all of our standing, we could split all of our neutral areas into two territories pretty easily, yeah? We could say one is a supply centre with a standing army, yep. and we could actually go, here's a standing army that is attached only to Haiti. If someone dislodges that army, it, re, 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 um, it disbands. Yeah. But then that territory loses a supply center. It becomes a territory. Cool. Yeah. Does the code work for that? Yeah. But, so, there's, but there's no territory in it now. 
be turned into a territory. So the two variants that we would take that code from would be Zeus. Yeah. Right. Now Zeus five has a has a territory that does that for the USA. Yep. It's uh, San Francisco. If or California, sorry. If yeah. if the USA owns that territory. Yeah, I remember that one. Then, then the USA can the build there. It's right? the same thing, I think, with Hong Kong and Colonial, isn't it, with England? Not sure about Hong Kong, but the, the idea is the same, yeah. right? And we would also take the coding from uh, the Vikings variant, where you can start them with armies sitting on those supply centres, and they constantly support each other. Mm -hmm. If they're dislodged, they're dislodged. Yeah. So we could say neutral seventh country has got two self-supporting supply, self supporting supply centers. But if another country moves into Haiti, that only that other country, only the seventh player can build in Haiti. Hence, it disappears off the map. Hence, oh. yeah. So there's only one normal supply center. One normal supply center, but two supply centers for power balance. Yeah, yeah. We can, we, that, that's a doable thing. And it kind of makes sense to a certain extent because you can kind of say, you know, well, they're all, they're independent, they're trying to... They're independent. They, they don't want to be yeah. pushed around, but they're happy to stand up when it's their own people, they're, they're, they're but when it's someone else, other, bugger you. Yeah. Bugger you, we're not, um, yeah. we're not supporting you okay. militarily. Yeah. Right, good. So, okay, cool. I think this map itself is good. I think we've talked about before, we will need to... Uh, you know, bolster the position down here in the south for Brazil, which is basically Portugal. Portugal, yeah. Because um, I think there, if we're having Portugal strong, then you're going to have to have you know two supply centers, as we said before. Portugal, um, which leaves us with the USA has to be strong. USA on this has one. to be strong, and. Spain wasn't it? Because Spain, he said Spain was going to be Spain weak on Southeast Asia. Spain so is weak in Southeast Asia. So what we what we decided with Spain, sorry, what we decided with Southeast Asia was Philippines were going to actually. My recollection from last time we caught up was it was like like midway during the war, where the United States had captured half of the Philippines and the Spaniards still had half of the Philippines. So it's 1899 is what we're looking at, right? About that, yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, that kept Spain and America weak in Southeast Asia. Okay, yep. So, so that's Portugal. And then we've got these little adjuncts down there in yep. the north of it. Which means we could almost cut this stuff out, right? Well, yeah, you could. Easy. Actually, that would probably work better because you come down this way, which means you get more of Brazil proper. So bring in more of Brazil. Yeah. So we'll come this direction. Yeah, I like how you were very, very specific early on around the need for it to be a nice rectangle, and now we've got a very strange, um, what do you call those? Op no. An octagon? No, no, no. It's a rectangle. Is it's, it? It's just... It's, just, it's a rectangle with uneven sides except for two. No, that's right, because I can go... <laughs> I can take that. It's okay. it'll, it'll I'm taking the piss. I'm taking yeah. the piss. You're the genius on this shit. How far down in Florida do we need 
All we need to do is be able to have just two supply centers in America. We need to really go like that. Yeah, that's cool. You can even have, like, for example, America, you maybe have, like, an, a, like a supply center out here, which is, like, you know, the eastern seaboard or some bullshit. Oh, like an inset type. An inset type one. Yeah. Like what we did, what I did for um, uh, American Complex. Yes. So technically, you know, you can uh, take the American Eastern Seaboard. You're not actually invading America, but effectively what you're doing is here. But let's say, for example, if you're playing this game and within the uh, Caribbean uh, theatre of war, you've been able to kind of eliminate America. So basically what it actually means in real life, if you, just, if you take away the game of diplomacy, is you've been able to kind of occupy and control the southern Florida and blockade the United States Navy so it can't get out of its ports. Yeah. And, you know, that's a more realistic view of the world. Correct. Because uh, I was thinking that New Orleans yeah. might have that function. Yeah, you can do that too. Depends on how you want to cut the map. I mean, I could cut it across to there. Yeah. Um, you, you do your, your poker as you agree, that's all good. So let's make sure we got this right. So for this one, we've got the positives being... Portugal, USA, USA Spain. Spain. Okay. So you just weigh in the positives because by the fault the negatives work out themselves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Haiti as the... Excellent. Neutral, yep. Okay. Next, Southeast Asia. Ooh. Thailand was interesting because... That's part of Thailand. From Tep. What's the name of Bangkok? Oh. Yeah. Is that what it was before? Yeah. Yeah, it's about the right spot for it too. Um, obviously the French are strong in Southeast Asia. Yep, French are strong. Dutch are strong in Indochina. Oh, sorry, um, uh, Dutch East Indies. So that's a big chunk of the map yep. where the Dutch are strong. You have... In Timor, East Timor, which is Portugal, is where they're weak. You don't have to worry about weak, but it's yep. Australian and strong. And the then we've got America, for example, we were just making an arbitrary thing somewhere around here about where is Portugal, sorry, where's America, where's Spain. And America's strong on this. No, no, America's weak. Which leaves America's not strong in Africa, not strong in England. USA has to be strong on this one. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, maybe we have to make it into like split Philippines into three. So we've got France, Holland, USA. So where's so the weeks are Portugal, one in Spain, and Britain. We were going to have, oh, we have, oh yeah, we have Britain must be after. Where are we sticking the English? I, mean, I always thought it had Burma, I, but yeah, I reckon it has to be more like Malaya, Singapore. Just chuck them a small spot in Singapore. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Singapore, Singapore was supply centre. You had Malaya, or Malayas, or whatever they called it back then. The Malay, yeah. Or you could stick them in Borneo, is the other one. You think about the mentality of the British at the time. Singapore was the, the fortress Singapore. It was, you know, unable to be, unable to fall. Of course, until the Japanese yeah. did. But then Borneo was a territory, yes? Well, Borneo, everything was here. This is all part of Malay area. That's Sulawesi. That's Borneo. That's Sulawesi. Okay, that's Kalimantan, sorry. 
Which one's yeah. Kalimantan? That one. So Borneo is the island. I think Kalimantan no, is... No, no, no. Borneo is that section of the... No, that's Brunei. Brunei. Yeah, Brunei's up here. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to geography class with... Uh, I was yeah. going to say Kana and Ambi. Okay, uh, <laughs> so, so neutral is Thailand, of course. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about... Yeah, yeah, it's high. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm looking forward to Thailand being a neutral. Yeah, so am I. Um, and that's good. Which leads us to Africa. Which by power of... Hey, you got a little thing in the corner! Yeah. What's that little picture of? Oh, it's gunboats. <laughs> did, did you make that in AI? Oh, I shrunk down an image. Squint to see it. Bad resolution. Um, right, so it's strong. So strong is Dutch, has being to be the balls. The Dutch. The. Which would uh, go up like this, right? Yeah, but we also got to work out England. So it's got to be. We've got to work out where, you know, we've got. Plus, I think England is. England has to be strong, strong on this one as well. So that would have to be. We have to work out where it's going to be. So I think maybe you're thinking like a, like a Rhodesia or whatever. Maybe a Kenya, which is up here. It's Mozambique, isn't it? No, Mozambique's here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so actually in Portugal. Portugal has to be strong on this one as well. So that would be Mozambique and uh, uh, Angola, wasn't it? And we had the... Um, so the Congo, Congo is the standing Congo three. Congo is the standing, which is like the, the Belgians. Which is the neutral, neutral air quotes. Yep. We can have Spain sitting in here. They no, 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 no. We had Spain up here. Remember, it was going to be part of that Canary Islands area. Well, we could, but they had a colony here. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. Bullshit. No, shit, you're not. You sh yeah, true. So my understanding Equatorial of... Equatorial Guinea. Really? Yeah. When did they do that? I thought there was like a treaty that was negotiated. Equatorial Guinea. There was a, a, a treaty that was negotiated by the Pope between, because when Popes did this shit, between um, Spain and Portugal, which divided up the world based on, I think, a line. The Republic de Guinea Equator. Yeah. What about it? Colony of the Spanish. How? They weren't allowed to be there. They were. I always looked at that little country on the map and hit the modern map and went, where the fuck did that come from? What is that? Yeah, so it's like a little squ it's, it's like a little square in the middle of literally the center of sorry, on the coast of Central Africa. And then they've got this like this weird island up on the top north up here. Yeah, it must be so that's that's this. Yeah. Right, okay. Now I am really Sorry, geeking out on this one. What's it called? Equatorial Guinea. Yeah, Equatorial Guinea. Uh, the Spanish Guinea Equatorial. Yeah. Right. Right, okay, right. Colony of Spanish Guinea. Right, so Spanish I Guinea. I do not understand how this worked out vis-a-vis -vis that treaty with the Pope and the Portuguese. Do they just kind of go, screw this or what? History, no. history, history. When I say history. Spanish I mean. Guinea was a set of insular and continental territories controlled by Spain from 1778 in the Gulf of Guinea and the Bight of Bonny in Central Originally Africa. Originally Portuguese ruled. It gained independence in 1968 as Equatorial Guinea, Spanish territories. 
Queen status. Maria the First of Union Portugal of the Spanish and King Charles Colony III of Spain, province signed of Spain. the treaty of was ceded. Oh. Wow. Jeez. You learn something every day. Uh, established 1778, Spanish take possession, Spanish evacuate. So that would have been the Portuguese taking it over. Spanish sovereignty reasserted, 1844. Protectorate, 1885. So what did they evacuate in? So the British returned the island to Spanish. So they basically they leased it to Britain in 1844. And then, no, no, no. It's before that. They, the British then handed Fuck. Between 1778 and 1810, Spain administered the territory. From 1827 to 1843, the UK. In 1844, the British returned the island to the Spanish control. Yep. So, yeah, Spanish by the time this sets this period. Wow. Yeah, Spanish Guinea. I am. Okay, so there we go. You learn something every day, don't you? Cheers. Cheers. Good on you, mate. Hey. And more, more to the point, good on any listeners who are still fucking listening to this shit. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Okay, so, okay, we've got, so we worked it all out. We'll work it out. Yeah, yeah. So Portugal's strong in, in the Caribbean and Africa. USA is strong in the Caribbean and in Southeast Asia. Spain is strong in the Caribbean and in Europe. Which leaves us with Holland being strong in Africa. Are there any... And Southeast Asia. And Southeast Asia. Are there any of these... Oh, and, sorry. Africa is... Uh, Holland is Africa, Southeast Asia. England is Africa, Europe, and France is Europe, Asia. And look, I'm, I'm fully aware that if you're looking at this from a pure historical point of view, France should actually be stronger in Africa because of its substantial West African presence. Yeah, which is why we have to sort of cut it. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually, well, now that we don't have to worry about this up here, you're right. Yeah. Maybe it's it's more south, you know, sub what do you call it, sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, so look, we do need this territory here, right? The um, on the western. Which one's that one? Uh, that's for oh. the. Oh no! We remember here we had Liberia up here. Liberia, yeah. So but do, yeah, maybe it's just cut like there. Liberia to there, so. Yeah, so you have just the coast. Or cut like this, something. We don't need this one here anymore, do we? Oh, that one. The French, sorry. Yeah, well, so we shove the French somewhere down there. Cut across like that. There we go. Yep. All right. So, need a bit of um, pokery jiggery and away we go. All right. That's probably riveting because that was a highly visual experience <laughs> um, for our listeners. But Are you yeah. able to send me those? Those images, and I'll just put them up on the, yeah, on the website or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll scan them at work tomorrow and flip them to you. Excellent. 
So, um, I think all the other stuff. Because we, we kind of, before we started recording, we started talking about all the stuff we're going to talk about. The last thing I remember you saying you need to talk about was Henry Kissinger. I think I said a lot of other things too. I did. Around the grounds you wanted to talk about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you'll kind of. Rec- okay, so listeners will recall last episode. We talked about the need to reach out to Henry Kissinger, and since then he died. <laughs> yeah, um, timing. You sent me a photo of you actually sending him. And that was the that was the okay. So this is the really fucking freaky thing. I wrote the letter. Yep. And I spent a lot of time that morning just crafting the letter. And actually, I was really fucking sorry. Honestly, I was really proud how I kept a nice, clear, simple message. And click. I'm thinking this guy's a hundred. Has to be able to kind of consume things in a nice, easy manner. Yes. Here's some pictures of you know. Here's what it says in Wikipedia. Here's what it says in this article from you know, Games and Puzzles magazine. Yep. And it's very, very clear. Look, I said, don't mind either way. Just love your view to weigh in on this. What you thought of the game? Yep. Got it already. Went down to the mailbox. Took a photo. Took of a you. photo to send to Ken to say, yep. right, deal is done. <laughs> About three hours later, it starts hitting the internet. Henry Kissinger's dead. I thought, oh, oh fuck. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's the diplomacy, the spirit the, of diplomacy the, the, out there, saying it, it saying, shall not be debunked. Yes, yes. We're we're going to uh, keep this one unknown, unknown, mysterious. Tell me. Have you heard back from the estate or anything? No, but no, I think they're rather fucking more pressing things to <laughs> For sure, yeah, no. But I was, yeah, just wondering if you heard any letter back. Yeah. Not yet. No. Nah, nothing We're not yet. expecting anything. And I don't expect to receive any response either. Yeah. Well. Yes. Is either to, way, um, whatever you think of Henry Kissinger, right. if he is a, if he is a aficionado of the game, hope he's playing it up there with, with Cal Hammer now and JFK. Amen. Got times for around the grounds. <coughs> yeah, but I think my water went down. Now I need to get you a drink, don't I? I'll go with one of the same. You want another one? Yeah. Was it good? It was tasty. Oh, did I hit the wrong button? Open that. No, it's recording. Oh yeah, all those levels are still there. They weren't there before. What'd you do before? You must have clicked the button. You hit the button. Did I? You did. You said you hit a button. Okay. I haven't touched anything. But I never remember seeing all these levels. Maybe they were there and we never noticed. These ones? Yeah. Yeah, they've always been there. Oh, okay. That's for the mics when you plug them in. Ah, but there's mic. no mics plugged in. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the level for, for these fellas. Thank you. Thank you. Should we just get rid of this shit? No, 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 no we're back. <laughs> okay, well, cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting smell. What's this one? The, this is the ceremonies, ceremonies and, and memories. Ceremonies and rituals. Oh, wow. Oh, that's very complex. There's a lot going on. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Oh, yeah, it's still going. <laughs> yes, to be savoured. I wonder if they have put a little bit of tea in it, actually. 
A little bit of tannin. It's a very interesting, yeah, very, it's a really intriguing end game. Oh, agree. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, Still anyone's going. All right. Speaking of end games. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the last thing we'll kind of talk about before we wrap things up is a game that I, I bought into nah, nah, a couple of months ago. Okay. And it is a new variant that's been playtested at the moment at the media. Okay, because there's a few going on at the moment. Yeah, there's a few going yeah, on. Yeah. And the, um, the variant is called Bronze Age Diplomacy. It was created uh, by Fake Owl. Right, he's been working in that, uh, in that region for a while. He has, he has indeed. Yeah, yeah. And how's the variant? Well, so I bought into it um, not because it would help my rankings, because unranked. Yes. But I bought into it because the map really kind of intrigued me. And I think, I can't remember if we've spoken about the map at all. 30 grade extent previously. Is this the era where um, the Greeks retreated across? Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, well, those are unpassable. Oh, and the Tigris and Euphrates are navigable. navigable. Okay, okay. And the Nile. And a bit of um, map balancing going on then by the Suez. Yep. Sort of adding that bit to the, to the Red Sea. Does that? It does. Right. Okay, so that's playable around. Yeah, so you can go around um, the Arabian Peninsula into the Persian Gulf. Right. Okay. From the Red Sea. Right, so that's for playability more than anything. Um, the Greeks. Right, okay. It's a really... As soon as I saw this, this variant, I thought, that is really, really interesting. There's lots of dynamics in that variant, which is not unlike this, this drink. Is, is there a transform option on this? No, there's not. No, okay, so you've got to I really, have been limited by that. You really have to balance your, your builds. fleet builds. But you can build anywhere. To build anywhere, okay, okay. Okay, so, that's interesting. I, I, yeah. It's interesting there's navigable rivers. I find that interesting, how he's work where modern day Istanbul, Constantinople, the Dardanelles, the, right? um, so I, I find that as, as an interesting territory that's passable by fleets, but the treatment of the rivers have bridges, so is, is that a conscientious, does that play? Well not really because what, what the only area you put a bridge would be between the but well, within it, but you're already rigidable. part. But it's okay. all, it, yeah, it's it's all, all the, the the north bank. Sorry, the the European part of the peninsula that's around that area is well, part of the same territory as the south bank, which is the Asiatic part. Yes, but when it comes to, I guess, I guess it's just before the the, the founding of Constantinople. So oh, yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. Okay. 
I guess if it was more of a modern thing, a modern take, like having the Ottomans, if you were to use this map on the Ottomans, yeah. you would have to have Constantinople yeah. on the western flank. Yes. And have an actual sea territory or boundary or something, I guess, to make yeah, exactly. yeah. So anyway, that Yeah, exactly. That, that makes sense now, yeah. So it, this is a eight-player variant. Um, and, you know, the, the countries, just so you know, it's uh, Egypt, uh, Hatti, yep. which are the Hittites, really, I think. Babylonia, Mitanni, Assyria, Elam, um, Achaia, which I think is the Greeks, and Azawa. So, um, apologies on any of that uh, Bronze Age so, so, so really people out there have mispronounced that for people pre sea peoples, pre sea peoples. That's right. There's, yeah. no, there's no Phoenicians. There's none of yep, like that. Yep, yep. Anyway, so. I bought into the game, I'd say somewhere between early game and mid game. Okay. What country did you jump in on? As um, the Babylonians, I think. Yeah, and the Babylonians. So one of those central powers. Yep. How does the how does the impassable deserts affect your game then? No, is it, is it it's not a problem. Does it give you distance from some of the other powers? Uh, yes, it absolutely did when I kind of had conflict with Egypt. Right, yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay. Kind of, um, so they limited the conflict to just around the um, uh, Red Sea, Persian Gulf, you know, that type of area. And in fact, I think from memory, you can kind of see here, I don't think anyone's ever passed through that middle area, or maybe it doesn't change colours, I don't know, which is the uh, South, Ara South Arabia. That would change colours as passing. Anyway, so what happened with this particular variant is I early on I was allied with Assyria. I was also allied on allied early on with Mitanni. They're both Mitanni's now been destroyed. Mitanni was based around here. Actually around that area there. You're purple. I'm purple. Yep. And um, we were heading towards the end game. I mopped up Egypt. Assyria mopped up, um, I think it's called Azari, which is kind of like the light greens. Anyway, long story short, Assyria was working towards a solo win. And I got to that point, I was going to say Cana. <laughs> got to that point? Where. Is it still I, ongoing? It's still ongoing. Yeah, yeah. I got to that point where I went, okay, now. Normally, at this point in time, it's an unranked game. Someone's heading towards a solo win. Does it matter if I win or not? No, it doesn't. In no. fact, is it better for me not to do anything so that I maintain and establish a good rapport with this player for the future, that knowing I'm a reliable alliance partner? Is it? That's true. Do you know who you're playing against? Yeah, you do. So it's an open game. Yes. Yep. GJ likes games. And um, as GJ Lost Games has kind of reminded me subsequently, this was the first time he and I had actually allied and were doing very, very well together by allying. Have you played together before? Yeah, apparently I was a... may have stabbed him <laughs> once or okay. twice, I don't know. Yep. Anyway, the thing I got to this point though was knowing it, knowing it was unranked, it started me thinking as a person who has created variants, 
whilst this was an unranked game and not worth anything, is that outcome a likely outcome in real life it was actually a ranked game? <laughs> and? And I thought, no, because Assyria was widely dispersed and the logical thing to do at that point of time would be to stab. Yep. And I weighed that up and I found that very difficult to work out what was going to be my response. But ultimately I thought for the benefit of the variant to see how the variant would more correctly play out, okay. <laughs> it was better to stab. Yes. So I stabbed. <laughs> and I kind of I was sorry so so there is one other player I think might be uh, Hutty which is like the um, Hittites yes he's still in the game wow. he is like lock solid with Assyria to the extent that when I after I stabbed I actually reached out to um, GJ Luskab to Assyria and also players playing Hutty that would be Wild Man Walk. And kind of said, look, um, my normal inclination would have been to have ended the game at the point of time, let you win, or let a serial win. However, I felt that because this was an unranked game, it didn't matter as much around who wins and who doesn't win, yep. because it's for the love of the variant of the game. And I think it would be better to actually play test it out properly play test the game to the end, because a lot of times these games just don't get to that point. They just get drawn if someone just races ahead with an easy solo, no one kind of just, you know, disputes it. Right. So I, I did get an early jump on uh, Assyria as a result of that stat. Um, I do feel that it's likely that I will not... Um, and I said this to Assyria and Hatim. I think I, d I will not win this. But I, I think, think I'm going to go down fighting, and I think it's, it's better for the be game, and it's actually going to be more enjoyable for us to do that way. So to that extent, I've been kind of doing these wild, you know, moves, like penetrating deep into wherever I can. He's cor he's corresponding with returns back. Like I know in in the um, the west, I'm going to get crushed now because there's a fleet supremacy coming down on me. That you can't. That I can't stop. There is a transform option. Oh, there is. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. This is interesting. The Sea of Zelpa. Being able to move an army from... This is the Black Sea, effectively. Yeah, yeah. To be able to move an army quickly... From around modern-day Bulgaria. From Bulgaria all the way across to... Like Armenia type of area. To, to here, yeah. Or Georgia, or whatever that is. By convoy very very useful very powerful and I've seen that's been a um, I'm actually interested to why he did that why why didn't he move Europe to its adjacent spot here and convoy this army to there why did he uh, I don't know I don't know the one thing I will say though and you, you have picked up a point I haven't really thought about is okay so historically when you think about the way that empires in that Bronze Age tend to operate, they go up the you know the Fertile Crest and then they come down. You know what I mean? Yep. Through the Levant into Europe, or into Egypt, or vice versa, into Babylonia. 
that really didn't play out as a dynamic. Where you actually saw this rapid transition of people moving was through that, that around sea, the Black Sea, around the Black Sea. Yeah, yeah. And I saw it time and time again with different powers flipping across, flipping back. You know what I mean? Someone else gets up. So that's probably the only area I think that realistically wasn't being constrained. And I don't know whether that was by design. Or by design, because you could probably be argue the same. You could probably argue the same thing between. The Persian Gulf and the Red Sea it has a similar dynamic. All of these, although you, you kind of jump very quickly, very it's it's harder to break into one or the other because there's a real bottleneck around both. So you have to be quite uh, tactical with a lot of your moves to get a bridgehead and then to establish another bridgehead and then to break through. Well, the Nile River is actually a territory, is it? Well, it's a playable territory, yes. Oh, well. So the Tigris is. Okay. They're playable territories. Okay, playable. Oh. And then the uh, Euphrates. Upper, lower. Yeah, upper, lower Tigris, upper, lower Euphrates. Where's the barrier between them? What do you mean? Like, where does the upper Euphrates and the lower Euphrates start There's a line. Stop? I need that red line. At least I need that red line. Oh, okay. By virtue of... Yeah, it is. Yep. Sorry. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. That's another... So it's a really... I mean, honestly, this has been a great variant and a great map. Um, I, I, apart from just what I pointed out before, everything else has been wonderful. And I'm not just saying that because... It seems like a minor point, but... It, Probably one that's worthwhile letting fake out know. Well, even even if you broke it up into like east and west or whatever like that, so you need to kind of you know Slow capture down. a sea territory which is you know borders both to be able to then jump off or something. I don't know. Because the Mediterranean does that multiple. Oh yeah, lots of. Yeah. So does the um, Persian Gulf. Persian Gulf. The Red Sea doesn't. Black Sea doesn't. Hmm. Okay. So do you think it's in a playable state now, or is it? Oh look, I, I think I think more development. Could, I think again, you could probably release it right now, or I would probably just split that Black Sea territory into maybe two, right? And make sure that you've got a, a land-based territory that is adjacent to both. Maybe you can already choose that with that. Ever that one is it Pella or something? Pella or the, the the supply center maybe? Yeah. Yep. Anyway, cool. it's a great variant, and I'm looking forward to it coming out. A lot of people enjoy that one. That's um, yeah, and those large inner passable regions is really balanced by that delicate use of the rivers as territories. So. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So we All wrap right. it up. Let's wrap it up. I'm Gavin. I'm Ken. Thank you for listening to the show. So we do oh. appreciate all of our listeners, yes. Normally at this time we'd kind of promote the uh, Patreon feed and everything. Yep. Um, we do have a... We, I, I have a, a, a culprit to make to our existing Patreon supporters. Last time we caught up, we recorded a Patreon episode. We did. 
It was a good one. It was. It's sitting on the SD card. Yes. That I can't quite find at the moment. It's been misplaced. <laughs> Slightly misplaced. Not lost. I've put it somewhere nice and safe that I can't quite remember where it is. I do that with my car keys sometimes. Okay, I'm going to put the car keys here because it's in a safe spot and then I forget where that safe spot was that I put them. Yes. I'm searching forever for them. So um, our, our Patreon listeners will uh, undoubtedly be slightly disappointed, but it's in the can, it's ready to go, I just need to find it. So that we will have now our normal Patreon and then be a when that bonus one gets, Patreon when there'll be a bonus back. Patreon. Yeah, long enough to. That's a look forward to. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you. Ladies, gents, thank you very much. Everybody. See ya. Bye bye.